Hello and welcome to the Sci-Fi FX Podcast. I'm your host today, Carl, and this is podcast number 115. And today I have a special guest with me, Mr. Earl Green. Howdy, folks. Now, Earl, um, tell our audience a little about yourself. You you run the logbook.com website. Yeah, I'm the, uh, I have been running the logbook.com. Actually, I've been running it since the BBS days before it was .com. And this project goes back into the 80s when I was in high school, and I've just refused to let it die. <laughs> and uh, it migrated with the Internet early in the 90s, and there it has stayed and expanded into a variety of, a variety of seemingly unconnected interests, really the only central nexus point to all of this is it's stuff that i happen to be interested in i don't see anything unconnected on it at all i'm on it right now and <laughs> this is all stuff that i'm interested in so and uh it's well i mean there's there's always kind of a, a slightly geeky bent to it i mean there's a music review section but most of what i do in there is soundtracks and things mm-hmm. like that and uh it's just as my interests have meandered through the years it has just sort of expanded to take all of those things in and yeah a few times it's almost justified the money i've spent on the stuff that i'm buying yes i'm buying this to review it dear that's why yeah my wife doesn't buy that one either (laughs) (laughs) and uh here lately i've been venturing into publishing with uh with material based on the site and not not always directly copied from it because yeah that was the original idea going into doing a book is oh you know what I'm just going to cut and paste the website into a book and <laughs> and call it a day and it yeah 4 years later it <laughs> actually came out yeah, and you're referring to um Vorp 1 right That's yes sir the first one have you published any others off of the website yet or i am actually as a matter of fact i have a a window open on <laughs> On Microsoft Word, I am working on the equivalent book for the Star Trek universe, which is called Warp One. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and I am also that one has that one has fallen behind schedule so many times. I am not going to put my hand on my heart and say, you know, it'll be out by the end of this year, because there's actually a storm trying to pop up outside, and I'm sure lightning will just blast through the window and <laughs> strike me dead right there for saying that. But Vorp 2, the second volume of the Doctor Who guide, will definitely be out in time for Christmas. Oh, nice. The, the, last, the last things that uh, my cutoffs for Vorp 2, basically, I'm aiming to have everything done ahead of time. So all I have to plug in at the very end are the light at the end of the tunnel and whatever the 50th anniversary TV special and I would, I'll probably do a write-up on Adventures in Space and Time in there, which I'm almost looking forward to that more than I am the special itself. Yeah, I've, I'm very interested in seeing um, that the that's the biopic or the the dramatization of the recording of the original, the first episode of Doctor Who. Right. I'll stumble it out of my mouth there. Um, so I'm very interested in seeing that one. Uh, it's my understanding Mark Gatiss has been trying to make that for almost 12 years now, and he's yeah. finally going to get the chance to do it. So I'm, I'm really interested in that one. Um, I'll have to pick up a copy of Warp 2 because i got my copy of Warp 1 here um, next to me. Bless you, my son. I haven't, um, 
I, I got it from you last year at Consplosion. Yes. I have not um, read through the entire thing, but I have um, meandered through it a little bit, <laughs> reading specific well, entries into it. So. It's one of those books where there's there's really no starting place. I mean, you can you can start wherever you like. I mean, obviously it's an episode guide, so you just you know you you go where you go with it. It's it's not uh, it, <laughs> the there are sections at the bottom of each episode where it'll tell you if this relates to something later in the show or relates to the new series, or if it's a new series episode, how it relates to the old series. Yeah, I love and that so, part. That's that's. Yeah, it, hopefully no one has ever really lost with that one trying to track <laughs> any specific narrative. I was not there yeah. pretty good. I also like the way you'll you'll reference um, link them to things in like the New Adventures books and the the Big Finish audios and things like that. Well, I've I am that rare fan who actually thinks, you know, there has got to be a way to make all of this fit in the same universe. Now, of course, you get to things like human nature where, you know, how can the same crap happen to the same time lord twice? Yeah. It, you know, where it really it really strains your credibility in trying to make everything fit. But you know those rare those rare exceptions like that aside because that really is an exception. Yeah, I mean that's most of it. That's the only one that's been based on one of the the new adventures books so far. I wouldn't so far. Wouldn't put it past them to another one, but <laughs> I I wouldn't either. But on the other hand, I I get the impression that Russell T Davies was more of a fan of the material that was coming out in the you know they call it the wilderness years, the not on TV anymore years. Yeah than Stephen Moffat has been. Because uh, Big Finish actually tried to get Moffat to join their initial stable of writers at, at the outset in 1999. Mm -hmm. But he was... Of course, he was, already, he was already big news by then because he was doing coupling, men behaving badly, that sort of thing. You know, he didn't have to yeah. write for this audio <laughs> revival of Doctor Who. Oh, yeah, but I love Big Finish. Um... I listen to their stuff all the time. I I need to listen to their stuff all the time. I am so <laughs> far behind on well, I'm so far behind on being able to afford everything. Yeah. I I love Big Finish and at the same time there are times, you know, when I look at the monthly release schedule for everything that's coming out, you need to sort of put your hands up and say, "Whoa, guys. Mm -hmm. How can anyone possibly afford this?" And so, I mean, even with the download service cutting the prices in half, you're still looking at spending a a fair amount of money. Oh, yeah. And and me, I'm crazy. I actually like to have the CDs, and so I wind up I wind up buying a lot of secondhand on eBay, you know, once stuff is three or four months old. Not something I'll be able to get away with when they do their their own 50th anniversary special, obviously. Yeah, I um. I so want to get the the five disc edition of that thing when it comes out. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm in the same boat as you, both um, you know, trying to follow it financially, but also this year I got a little I'm considerably further behind this year than I normally am because I got hooked on the the Dresden Files and the Game of Thrones books. So I've been listening to the audio books ah. of those for like the last five months. <laughs> yeah, there's plenty to uh, there's plenty to catch up with if you're just starting out with Dresden Files. Yeah, I'm caught up with that, and I'm on book five of Game of Thrones, so I'm almost there. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I I am a stickler for buying big finishes stuff. Although, you know, I I'm aware that buying it secondhand doesn't really help their bottom line. It helps mine more than it helps theirs. I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. But you know, just just for my little goody two shoes moment of the day, I you know, it, you need to go ahead and buy the stuff because they. In the age of the internet, and of course with Doctor Who fandom, I think this is probably a particular problem, because you're talking about a fandom that used to circulate tapes like crazy. You know, they say that the episode at the uh, end of every episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 keeps circulating the tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Doctor Who fandom used to do that long before everything was officially available, and I'm not sure that mindset has ever fully gone away. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's stuff is a lot more available now, too, than it used to be, though, because, I mean, they're almost all out on DVD now, and you can get them on, it, on Amazon or wherever. It's an embarrassment of riches now. I yeah. mean, the the thing is, going back to the, the New Adventures years, you know, you have people complaining, oh, we didn't, you know, they said there was going to be more Doctor Who this year than any other, any other year in the show's history, and this is all we've gotten, and... You know, I can't help but look at the people who say that and go, you know, wow, really? You weren't around in the night. You weren't a fan in the '90s, were you? Yeah. You only started watching with David Tennant, <laughs> which there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's no bad jumping on point for Doctor Who, but you know, compared to well, twelve, you know, ten, twelve years ago, yeah, you've got an embarrassment of riches out there now. Trial of a Time Lord might have been a bad jumping on point, but other than that, yeah. <laughs> Uh, a trial of a Time Lord by the end of it, yeah, is actually a, a jumping off point, especially if you had a tall building available. <laughs> I, I like Trial of a Time Lord, but I, I, you know, when you jump, if you jump into the series right there, where basically they're saying, well, if it doesn't do good this season, we're going to cancel it. That's not exactly a good jumping on point. Yeah, and and yet it, it's they actually gave the Valyard a shout out in the uh, in the series finale this spring, which just. Yeah, just have me rubbing my hands together with glee. It's like, oh, goody, I get to explain that to everybody. Now, wait a minute. How do I explain that to everybody? <laughs> yeah. Now, as as far as, um, you know, 50th anniversary celebrations uh, for Doctor Who, the uh, did you see where Big Finish is um, basically said that the first 50 of their adventures are going to be five pounds each? For yes. CD and then two ninety nine for download? As long, well, the CDs are as long as they last. Apparently, they're not going to repress the first 50 anymore. So they're clearing out their warehouse for that. Oh, no. Yeah. So they're actually going to go out of print. Yeah, they're, they're going to keep them download only uh, once the CDs are gone for the first 50. Because they have they said that basically it's gotten to the point where they keep repressing them, but they sell so few of the CDs of the first 50 that it's not worth it to them to keep them on hand anymore. They need to free up the room in the warehouse for newer stuff. Yeah, which I understand, well, but I I still want to get my hands on all of them, so <laughs> I need to go get them well, now. And there is some there is some really awesome stuff in that first fifty. Oh yeah, I mean there is there are there are stories in there that really, as much as anything on television have they redefined what you could do within the series format, and I I think truly what everyone who loves Doctor Who is aware of is the answer to that is you can do anything with it. But, you know, you have to do it carefully in some cases. Oh, yeah. I mean, one of my um, favorites was Spare Parts. I believe that's number, what, 34? Right, yes. Um, 
that one's just super creepy. And yeah. the Cybermen have always been my favorites. So it hits home right there on top of that. But just the the emotional aspect of like the young girl being converted and you know going back to her father and all that kind of stuff and just the gruesomeness of the whole thing. And then, like you said, it turns everything on its head as far as the um, chronology of Doctor Who or the, the mythology of it by basically saying the Cybermen are as dangerous as they are because of the fifth Doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which I love it when Big Finish does stuff like that. It just puts a whole new skew on everything when you look at it again. Big Finish, in over 10 years of doing their thing, they've really only done one out of all of their series that I have heard. I, I haven't listened to Sapphire and Steel. Now, I'll, I'll throw that out there. So I haven't listened to everything Big Finish has ever done. Mm-hmm. But out of their Doctor Who and Doctor Who spinoff material, there's really only been one thing that I absolutely disliked to a great degree. And that's really not a bad batting average. I wish I could say that about the new TV series, to be honest. Considering Big Finish, like you said, they've been at it for almost 13 or 14 years at this point. I can't remember. It's been, what, 99 was when they started. Yes. Um, So, yeah, 14 years. Yeah, I mean, there's just a handful of them that I would consider to be mediocre. Right. As opposed to most of them being excellent. And they've got hundreds, literally hundreds of releases in just the Doctor Who range and its spinoffs you're talking about you know what 300 400 cds yes yes and yeah it's an entire room basically if you have them all on disc and yeah they're all good um there's a couple of mediocre ones and and ho-hum ones but for the most part they're excellent and they're just as good if not better than anything they're putting on the screen now Anytime the topic comes up of, you know, you have this very ardent vocal minority, and I think it probably is still a minority, saying that Stephen Moffat needs to go sometime soon. Um, You know, one of my favorite things to point out is, well, you know, how would you feel about the guys from Big Finish taking over? And, of of course, a lot of new series-only fandoms can like, who? What? Yeah. But I... It, it would be interesting to see what would happen if, it, at least in terms of the list of writers, if they got a little bit more Big Finish DNA into TV Doctor Who. Yeah, I know they've had – they had one by Rob Robert Shearman, mm-hmm. although I believe that was – I believe he has gone on the record as saying that it was almost completely rewritten by Russell T. Davies. Yeah. And you've had Paul Cornell on there a few times. Um, I would I would really like to see them, you know, take a look at the big the big Finnish writers list and say, well, you know what, we'll give these guys a shot. Well, since they've been doing it for you know over a decade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They've got a little bit of experience, and um, honestly, I would love to see that because then we might get some more um, episodes that have a more classical feel to them. Yeah. Because I'm and I'm a little tired of the the timey wimey, wibbly wobbly. Um, explanations for everything and doctor who being science fantasy now as opposed to science fiction which it was in the classic series right the uh i think the the peak of my dissatisfaction (laughs) 
with with the new show was the wedding of river song where you know we've spent the whole season you know morosely staring at the tardis scanner you know <laughs> the doctor is going to die it's inevitable oh no it's not you know we're going to do this thing here at the end that goes into an alternate timeline and we're going to have this big info dump that leaves everyone going what yeah that was that was one of those points where I was sitting there thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe they're right, and Moffat does need to go because it's kind of turned into the River Song show in some ways. I've I've noticed over the last couple of years that when Stephen Moffat was just writing an episode or two a season, he wrote really good episodes. Yeah, but now that he's in charge of Doctor Who and um, Sherlock, his episodes tend to be the worst ones. Yeah, and I don't know if you, uh, the BBC Worldwide Annual Report came out. Boy, this is getting into some inside baseball here. I looked at But basically, the... it's, you know, it's where the BBC answers to its, you know, it's like a shareholder's report. It's what we would call a shareholder's report in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I forget which page it's on. I'd actually have to pop up my own forum to find it. But there's a page on there where there's a page in this report where it basically says that the bottom line has been hurt because the output of two particular shows, Doctor Who and Top Gear, has not been not been as high because they stretched the season out mm-hmm. over two years. And the reason that's been given for that in several corners has been that you know, this was so Moffat could concentrate part of the year on Sherlock, part of the year on Doctor Who. I just I can't imagine a situation like that in American TV where we're going to be stretching a single season out over two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just doesn't happen. Um, well, I, it, it, correction. Actually, actually, no, it, it has happened here because we sci-fi is, is bad about doing that. But that's that's their marketing decision. Yeah. You know, it's not because you have a writer who's overloaded. Yeah, it's... because I used to get terribly annoyed with, you know, thank you for watching this season of Battlestar Galactica. It will now be a whole year before you get any more. Oh, I, and... I just got annoyed with watching seasons of Battlestar Galactica, but that's a <laughs> a whole different topic. My, my <laughs> wife was asking me last night, well, when does Game of Thrones start up again? And I looked at my watch of uh, March. Yeah. And ran from the room because I knew. <laughs> that's why I started reading the books. <laughs> the blood-curdling screaming was about to begin. No! I got to the end of Season 3 of Game of Thrones, and I was like, no, I have to know what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> you you fell victim to their cunning plan. That was the plan all along. So now I'm like three seasons ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so now the problem is that, you know, you... You watch their exciting twist-filled episode, you know, whatever the next season's equivalent of The Red Wedding will be, and you're sitting there going, seen it! Yeah, I'll, I, I'm kind of wondering, because the, the books, the, the TV series deviates wildly from the books, so <laughs> it still could be full of mysteries. Yeah. <laughs> but the... It, you know, as far as the seasons of Doctor Who being split up like they are currently, if the BBC wants to just do what they do with nearly every other show in their roster and only do six episodes a year, I would kind of like for them to come out and say so. <laughs> you know, instead of the season 7A, season 7B business. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because one of the one of the claims we had going into this season was that in 2013 you're going to have more Doctor Who on TV than ever before. Really? I mean, on on the one hand, I don't want to complain because, you know, I was a rabid fan during the years when we had no Doctor Who on TV. Yeah, but uh, I mean, but I that's a bold claim, and I don't feel that they've really necessarily delivered on it. No, they haven't yet because we had eight episodes this year. And then we know we're getting uh, the 50th anniversary, and we know we're getting a Christmas special. That brings it up to a total of 10. Woo. So <laughs> are they, I mean, I haven't heard anything about season 8 or series 8 or 34, or whatever they're going to call it. But do, do we know when that's starting? I mean, are they starting that with the 50th anniversary episode and giving us six episodes of that? And I believe special? I read a... Someone posted something that was purportedly an interview with Jenna Coleman, who plays Clara, mm-hmm. and I believe she made reference to season eight shooting not starting until the beginning of the year, which means autumn yeah. 2014 at the earliest. Which means, yeah, all we've got left is the the anniversary special and the Christmas special. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that unless they pull something else out of their sleeve, and that's just a flat-out lie. Um yeah. Which wouldn't be the first time they did something like that, but I would highly doubt it. You know, I can see I can see Moffat and or the BBC telling a whopper for creative reasons or or being marvelously vague, you know, like the whole build up to the Angels Take Manhattan. Not everyone's going to make it out this time. I mean it. <laughs> but I don't know. This this is one where it seems like a specific promise is in dire danger of not being delivered on. And yeah. that's that's not exactly a crowd pleaser in public relation and promotion terms. <laughs> so um, before we started recording, you were telling me that you had a theory about the John Hurt Doctor. Yes, I have a, I have a very convoluted theory that I have yet to talk anyone else into. I want to hear into this theory. Buying into. Um. And this is going to sound this is going to sound so new adventures, of course. You know, like I said, I was a huge fan during that period of the show's history, which is probably why I would come up with something this this indirect. But I don't believe that the John Hurt Doctor is a literal regeneration between McGann and Eccleston. I don't think he. I don't think we're going to have to go renumber our action figures anytime soon. In other words, what I. My gut feeling is, based on some of the information we have about you know what is in the episode, who is in the episode, my gut feeling is that John Hurt's Doctor is going to be sort of a, a walking self-image problem. He's how the Doctor perceives himself, perceives his own actions during the Time War. He is not this literal – he's not a literal other regeneration. He is this dark chapter from the Doctor's life, and he is just sort of – shoved him off into a you know into a locked chest so he can deal with it compartmentalize it and move on and be the doctor again mm-hmm. the now here here's why i think that's that could actually be vaguely likely to be the storyline because what would trip up the doctor more than anything than if you had some race of shapeshifters that one of them makes themselves look like this doctor who is only supposed to be a metaphor. 
that would really throw you off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we know the Zygons are in the story. Oh, that's true. That is very true. I hadn't thought about that. So, and, you know, we, it, it's, it, it's already out there that there is at least one scene that we're aware of where John Hurt has to convince Tennant and Smith that he is, in fact, the Doctor. Hmm. So I'm, that that's my best guess. I'm completely open to the probability of being way off the mark there. So are we also to um, assume from this um, setting, basically, that the, the um, or from the John Hurt Doctor, that that is who the Doctor saw in the, um, what was that episode called? The, uh, the episode in the hotel, the... Um, Oh, the 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 god the god uh, complex. Yes, yes. Thank you. Almost, almost called it God Engine. There I am on yeah, the books, on the books again. again. <laughs> so you know when the doctor went into his room, which was number eleven, right. and he's he you know opens the door and goes, oh yes, it had to be you, and then he closes the door again. So I kind of I hadn't thought like, of that. That tracks perfectly. Was, yeah. yeah, that would actually make a lot of sense. I don't know, just my theory, but you know. <laughs> hmm. Add that to the list. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I could definitely see the Zygons playing on that if they could, because um, when they capture the um, the person to do their um, their shape shifting thing, they read their mind, so they know what's right. in there. So they could easily get that information out of him. So the question becomes: At what point did they capture him? And he, he, at what point did they capture one of the doctors? Post, you know, post Eccleston, yeah. and you know, glean this from a from a mind scan. Of course, you know, that could be part of the tenant storyline is this could have happened to ten at some point and it was just not something that we saw in sequence on T V at the time. Well it it could also be when um I'm trying to remember the episode again, but it was the power of three or the um the Angels take Manhattan at the beginning where the doctor takes Rory and Amy on their honeymoon gift. Yes. And he mentions, you know, that how was he to know that Zygons were in the basement of the hotel? <laughs> so maybe it happened during that little sub-adventure that we don't get to see they booked a convention and didn't tell me yeah <laughs> so maybe that's where it happened i don't know <laughs> it could be it'll it'll be interesting to find out i'm i'm not claiming to have a a definitive theory but this is this is sort of like you know one of the things i do in the book is i will point out the possibility that maybe as early as William Hartnell, you were seeing things that were part of the Time War, but were never identified as such, because of course, you know, the Time War was not invented as part of the original series, at least not as part of it that that got on screen. Well, because in in the earliest character sketches of the Doctor, you know, when the show was in development at the BBC, uh, all the way back to 1963, there was a a background note for the Doctor saying that he may have been a refugee of some intergalactic war. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, they never did anything on screen to play with that idea. I always thought it was intriguing that someone had something like that in mind that far back. Yeah, well, and, and I, I always assumed once the Time War stuff started up that the um, the genesis of the Daleks was kind of like the first salvo. right. Because, you know, they specifically send the Doctor back to get rid of the Daleks. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm sure Remembrance of the Daleks is uh, 
I'm sure that didn't help. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, there were essentially the time where did, we did see it start, at least with Genesis of the Daleks. It may have started before that, as far as we know, but right. that, that's it, a very it just obvious wasn't... You know, attack right there. Right. Yeah. It just wasn't labeled as such. Yeah. You know, until you go look, look back at it. And, you know, going into Big Finish, I think obviously the apocalypse element. Oh, yeah. It, uh, obviously. I love that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, now, what do you think of the. Uh, uh, of course, cover artwork isn't always the whole story, but what do you think of the cover artwork that's been released for Gallifrey 6? Uh, is it Gallifrey 6? Uh, I believe it is Gallifrey 6. Um with the new series Dalek, you know, yeah, bursting through. Yeah, I saw that the other day um, on Big Finish's website, and that um, intrigued me. I was th- I saw that, and my first thought was, is are they actually going to be trying to do the Time War here? Is this what we're going to? But then I read the description, and it mentioned that they're still in, like, the alternate Gallif right. timeline and all that. So they may just be linking it that way, saying that those Daleks are actually an alternate timeline from the big finish timeline daleks or maybe they'll be the uh maybe they'll be the the dalek empire alternate timeline where they have yeah or they're the good guys yeah <laughs> that would be interesting but uh, they haven't touched but somehow i doubt it <laughs> yeah they haven't touched on that one in a while that would be um that would be an interesting one but the one of the one of the reasons the gallifrey six cover is a big deal is because everyone knows and has known for a long time that the new series is off limits to Big Finish. Yeah. They they can't touch it without purchasing a separate license. And actually it's not so much that they can't afford the second license. I just don't think the BBC is ready to have them working on something related to the current series while they're also making television series. Yeah. Well they do have that I, um that co project right now with um Audio Go. They're right. doing the Destinies of the Doctor thing, and they're going to... Big Finish is working with them, and so they'll get to touch the ninth, 10th, and 11th Doctors there. Yeah. I I was, really had high hopes for who they were going to get to do the ninth Doctor story. I was a little bit... <laughs> felt a little bit let down. You know, it's it's Nick Briggs and some other guy, and it's not that I don't like Nick Briggs. It's like, wow, we, we couldn't get... We couldn't even get Noel Clark for that one. <laughs> Of course, he's a big shot now. I mean, he's blowing up Starfleet headquarters these days. Yeah, well, and, and Big Finish has worked with him before. So right, that's why I was thinking he would probably, he was the most likely candidate. I, I didn't envision them getting Billy, and I certainly didn't imagine that they would be able to get Eccleston. Yeah, no, that, we knew that wasn't going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's just right out. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm surprised no one's made a, a, a life-size waxwork figure of him. <laughs> I, that's the only thing that's missing in this scenario. <laughs> oh, that would be so awesome. We need to get um. Does, has Madame Trissot done one of those or? <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> she really should. <laughs> that's where they got the Tom Baker one from. <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, they just need to put them together. You know, the obvious caption. You know, Christopher Eccleston's waxwork gets advice from career advice from Tom Baker's <laughs> waxwork. That would be awesome. <laughs> All right, so um. The the new Doctor, the Twelfth Doctor. We got to talk about that. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can't not talk about Peter Capaldi. Um, I I have to admit I had a rather limited 
exposure to his prior material, uh, obviously Doctor Who and Torchwood. In fact, the first time his name came up in the betting pool as a strong contender, I was rather surprised because he so completely inhabited his Torchwood character mm -hmm. that I was sitting there wondering, you know, am I going to be able to buy that this guy is now the Doctor? And, you know, of course that's – I'm sure that'll – you know, suspension of disbelief will be back in full force the moment he shows up on screen. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that was that was a hell of a performance in Torchwood. Oh, it was. It was. He was amazing in that. And I, I honestly, I am glad that they've gone back to a um, an older Doctor. Yes, Doctor Who is older than me again. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the Doctor is supposed to be this fatherly or grandfatherly figure to his companions I, i've always had an issue with the, the the love story in the tardis with the the doctor and his companion thing ever since you know rose right it just irritated me because he's he's supposed to be above that he's supposed to be guiding them and educating them and you know i i could almost buy the rose thing by the time they got her off the show because you know he had been through this trauma mm -hmm. and <clears throat> I believe the intended storyline was that she helped him get past that, get through that, and so this attachment had grown. Yeah. Where I, I, I started I <laughs> Yeah, sorry. Where I started getting irritated with the with the romantic interest plot line was that the next companion also has a thing for the doctor. And furthermore, we waste Martha's entire season on the show pining away for Rose. I thought that was Probably the biggest mistake Russell T. Davies made in his time as showrunner, mm -hmm. because you had a promising actress, you had a promising character, and in the meantime, we don't spend any time developing her because the doctor's sitting over here going, oh, Rose. <laughs> and, and my gut feeling was, okay, you know, if we didn't do that for Sarah Jane, then ain't no way. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It that's why, honestly, um, Donna is my favorite companion of the Tenth Doctor. Yes, because I there wasn't Donna. any of that. It was just, you know, I'm not going to take your crap off you, and yeah, <laughs> I'll yell at you I, when I feel like it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I wish she had stuck around, either, you know, either a season longer, or that they had not disposed of her at the end of that season, and you know, maybe kept her on for the specials in 2009. Because that was that was far too short a time with that character. Yeah. And yet, of course, you know, I realize Catherine Tate's a very a very busy performer, and so they were probably lucky to get the time with her that they had. Yeah, but it means we don't get any more Wilf. That's true. I, I now, if you want to know my ideal TARDIS lineup, you know, since we're since we have an older Doctor, you know, let's get a bunch of old farts in the TARDIS. Let's have Wilf and let's have Brian. Let's have Rory's dad. Oh yeah, Brian. All of them in the TARDIS at the same time. Yeah, Brian was. Um, that would be an awesome combo, Wilf and Brian. Yeah. Yeah. That oh. never get anything done. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd get a lot of work done around the TARDIS. All the lights would be replaced, and you know everything would work properly. <laughs> That would be a nice change, but, you know, there goes the soul of the show right there the moment you can drive the TARDIS. Of yeah. course, yeah, they can drive it pretty much anywhere they like now. Yeah, yeah, that's... Um... Uh, I think that plot element has, has been out the window for a long time. I think they still have the randomizer installed from the key to time season. <laughs> well, 
Well, it's it's kind of one of those things. The TARDIS goes where he tells it to if it's not important that he gets there. If if, right. if he needs to be somewhere else, then it'll take him somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's, it's kind of like Google. It's got an I'm feeling lucky button on the console somewhere. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's been that way for a long time, really. I mean, the, the fourth Doctor, until he put the randomizer in, could pretty much get it to go where he wanted to, for the most part. Um, the fifth and sixth doctors got better at steering it for the, the short hops as they referred to them. Yes. And most of the time, I think they just punch random coordinates in anyway and hit go. So (laughs) so they're hitting that. I feel lucky button and it just takes them where they want to. They just tell their companions that they're trying to get them back to Heathrow. They're not actually trying. They're just punching in random coordinates and hit and go. (laughs) Yeah. Now Heathrow, now that's a destination that I kind of wish they had gotten to a lot earlier. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then they revisited yeah. that. So. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it probably probably just a little a little bit out about my uh, preferences and '80s companions there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I yeah, and I was stunned that they referenced that recently. I I thought that was terribly funny. Uh huh. Yeah. So why did it take you such a long time to get there? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. They. I mean. They. They. Moffat does throw in a lot of good references to the old series. I have to give him that. Yeah. But if he can and... make his stories more like the old series stories where they actually made sense when you watch them two or three times. Because um, honestly, most of the time when I sit down and I watch a new episode of Doctor Who, I almost always enjoy it the first time through. It's funny. Yeah. It's quick. It's it's light. There's lots of nice quips back and forth between the characters. But then the second or third time I watch it, I sit there and I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why didn't the yeah. statue, why didn't the Statue of Liberty angel kill Amy and Rory when they were standing on the ledge looking at each other for two minutes talking with no one looking at it? Exactly. <laughs> how, and, how did it ever get off its plinth in the first place? Someone is always looking at the Statue of Liberty. How did it walk all the way off the island, across the bay, and down the street with no one noticing it? Ghostbusters! Um <laughs> I'm sorry, I know that's the most obvious reference in the world to the Statue of Liberty walking around, but you can't you can't not do it. Oh, yeah. No, that's exactly what I thought when I saw the episode the first time was Ghostbusters. Well, you sit there and you think about it, you're like, well, how did that even work? It's not even stone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, th- there's a lot of stuff like that in the new series that the second time you watch it, you're just like, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, and, you know, you talk about the Angels Take Manhattan. The Angel stories are kind of (laughs) – they've kind of become my pet peeve because here's the thing. The rules are established in Blink, and occasionally you keep tacking on more rules. You know, the image of an angel becomes an angel. Don't get them wet. Don't feed them after midnight, whatever. Unless they tack on. Because there's an image of an angel there, but it doesn't become an angel. (laughs) Right. But the the point is all of the – all of your major – Weeping Angel stories, where they are the primary villain, have been written by one guy, and he can't keep his own rules straight. Yep. Oh, I know. So <laughs> it's... it's uh, in charge. Yeah. So I'm... <laughs> I, I haven't, you know, completely dis... You know, Moffat hasn't ruined the show for me. Yeah, nothing has ever happened in the history of Doctor mm-hmm. Who that made me think, oh, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. Man, I'm I'm right there with you, but I I'd, I would like to see them get back to having a actual producer for Doctor Who that just produces the show. Yes. And then have like a a script editor, like say 
Paul Cornell. Right. And then hire different writers to do all the different episodes and, and have the script editor make sure that they all make sense. Well, I talked to Andrew Cartmel on Twitter about cats a lot, <laughs> which, which is a strange thing to – it's a strange thing to talk about if you if you have the ear of a former script editor of Doctor Who. So, you know, maybe I'll work that into the conversation at some point. I mean, I, so. I would love to see that where they get back to where the showrunner doesn't actually write episodes. He just runs the show and then has someone that's steeped in the Doctor Who mythology. Right. Script editor. Or maybe get Gary Russell back. Um <laughs> Actually, you know, I have I have mentioned several times that since Gary Russell seems to be at a bit of a loose end, why not? Because one of the things that does worry me about the Moffat era, if you want to talk about parallels to the John Nathan Turner era, which I'm not sure anyone wants to talk about, <laughs> I, I think there are a lot of parallels. One of them being that there is no obvious heir apparent. When Moffat does leave, who takes over the show? Most people are probably thinking Gatiss. He would be a good candidate. I know a lot of people, you know, as a pie-in-the-sky choice, would like Neil Gaiman. Oh, yeah. That's not going to happen. Yeah, he's he, – if he wasn't already doing American Gods for HBO, I just don't see him tying himself down to a, a TV show that is not his creation mm -hmm. for any length of time. And I don't blame him. I mean, you know, it's got to be a nightmare trying to run Doctor Who anyway. Right. He's got plenty of his own stuff to deal with as far as his own creations and everything, so – and, you know, I try to be understanding of, of whoever the producer is, you know, even Nathan Turner, because it's, you know, it's like you said, it's more than one person can sanely take on. But UK TV has fallen into this pattern of of the showrunner who does everything. Yeah. yeah, they're they're kind of following the the Joss Whedon pattern. Yeah, I was about to mention Ronald D. Moore. But I I didn't want to trigger your Battlestar allergy again. And in any case, Ron Moore had David Icke working with him on Battlestar and Caprica, so that's not that's not really the best analogy. Well, and that that's what I really don't get because they they have like three producers. Right. What do the other ones do if Moffat's actually doing it all of it? That's a good question. Well, especially since they seem to be uh, they seem to have a bit of a a revolving door problem. Mm-hmm. With that position, which I've seen some really fanciful rumors as to what's going on there that I just <laughs> I don't care to know the internal politics of the show. It's sort of like the the JNT biography that came out earlier this year. It's like, oh, God, I didn't want to know that. <laughs> but thanks anyway. But the the point is, if if the show's doing well enough, which I, I think it's doing well enough now. The general public is not focusing on the internal politics of the show. We don't have anything going on like Eric Sayward you know, quitting in the middle of a season. But I, I think Moffat's time – he himself has acknowledged that he is nearer the end of his time in the producer's chair than he is to the beginning. So I have a feeling he will probably establish the Peter Capaldi doctor's first season – set the character there and take off running to the bank, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of of that feeling, too. I had hoped when he took over that we were going to get more darker Doctor stories <laughs> and more, you know, 
more um i don't really know how to say it but more like the gothic who kind of stuff right and um you know more serious things and all the all the episodes were going to be scary or more of them would be scary as opposed to the russell t davies um big bombastic you know everything's exploding run kind of things where there'd be more mental stuff involved with it and that they would actually make sense and it would return to a more classic style of the program where they tried to make sense of things and it didn't happen (laughs) i think moffat got a little bit sidetracked with trying to make sure that the river song Mm -hmm. you know opposite timeline gag played out the way he envisioned it which is fine to a certain extent except it really took up most of his first two seasons Mm -hmm. You know, and like I said earlier, at some point it it kind of became the River Song show. And now I thought her appearance in the most recent series finale was terribly effective. I really didn't see that coming. And, you know, if they left it there, that would be that would be a heck of a way to to let the character bow out. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't trust him to drop that thread. (laughs) no. I, I have other issues with the last episode that aired. Um, namely, who put the back door into the TARDIS there? Exactly. I, there, are, it, It's one of those little plot conveniences that, you know, they could have spent five or ten minutes doing, but... On, and then I, I didn't get, because, you know, they go into this back door to the TARDIS, and they, they say they're inside the TARDIS. And then the next thing you know, the Doctor and Claire are standing outside in front of the TARDIS. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a third door somewhere else that they came out? I mean, I just that, that whole episode was just weird and wonky, and it didn't make any sense whatsoever as far as I was concerned. And I liked the little bits at the beginning with Clara running into the other Doctors. And like the doctor stealing the TARDIS from the the Time Lords at the very beginning, and then when they replayed that at the end, and she tells him, "No, take this one. You'll have more fun." I liked those parts, right? But other the, than, the fan service we're getting is great. But other than those two parts at the very beginning, yeah. very end, the other forty minutes of it was just kind of what? What is this? Because I mean that they bring back the great intelligence, yeah, and they they have him in the Christmas special, and then they have him back in the the Bells of Saint John. And then they have him back in this one, all for him to just show up and then disappear. Right. I mean, you don't bring something like that back unless you're going to do something really cool with it. Yeah, I... And, you know, and furthermore, it's not that you don't just bring something like that back. You don't bring something like that back and then book Richard E. Grant to play it. To play it multiple times. (laughs) <laughs> and then just have him step into a column of light and it's over. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I I don't know. I almost get the impression that somewhere <laughs> somewhere along the way this season, somewhere behind the scenes something didn't play out the way it was <laughs> intended to. Yeah, you know, something to do with that promise of more more who than we'd ever seen before. Yeah, like we should have gotten another 8 or 9 episodes somewhere in there that would have explained more of this. That would have been nice, you know. And and I keep saying I keep saying this every every year, or you know, every time we're having sort of a thin season or a spread out season. 
at this point, I don't think anyone would kick the BBC out of bed if they said, well, you know, Tennant's doing Shakespeare. You know, Matt's going to Hollywood. They're going to come back at some point, but this year we're going to rewind it and do a season of McGann. That would be awesome. Oh, that, and I think everyone would totally let them get away with that it. That would be spectacular. I would love to see that. It will never happen, but no. I would love to see it. No, it would never happen, but I, I would love to see it. I, I think they should have at least gotten him back for the 50th. Yes. Bring bring him back. <laughs> Give him another shot on screen. He's done great with Big Finish. I love the 8th Doctor audios. Yeah, and yet at the same time, I was mentioning this to someone the other day, I, I almost don't want him to show up again for the 50th because BBC would probably, so everyone knows who he is, stick him back in the wig and stick him back in the Wild Bill outfit. Yeah. Even though in the audio chronology, he's moved on from that look. Yeah, although and, it just happened. <laughs> yeah. So I – and yet there are things like Big Finish announcing that Dark Eyes 2 does not happen in, until next year. They had it penciled in for this year, mm -hmm. but it doesn't happen until next year. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really feeling cheated because the only thing we get McGann in this year is the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Or the light at the end. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but – it's yeah, so we're we're not getting the McGann love this year that we should be getting. Uh, well, we do get the um, the destiny of the doctors with him. That's true. Um, but yeah, I mean that that's it. There's nothing else really, which is a shame because his I I love his doctor. He's done. They've done some awesome stuff with Big Finish and the the books, the BBC books with the Eighth Doctor. Some of some of which I like. Some of the story arcs kind of lost me a bit. I, I'm not the biggest Faction Paradox fan in the universe. Yeah, some of them drug on a little longer than they needed to. But <laughs> oh, And yet, speaking of Faction Paradox and talking about the new series borrowing from the books and kind of hoping that everyone's forgotten that these other media exist, <laughs> I going back to the series finale, <clears throat> excuse me, I could swear that someone had been reading Lawrence Miles' Alien Bodies hmm. going into this, you know, sort of, you know, and kind of didn't get it. <laughs> but, at the, but at the same time, you had the same basic element that, you know, you have what's left of the Doctor after his actual death. And somehow this is a strategic, this is of great strategic value to his enemies. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a huge temporal anomaly, basically. Right. But anyway, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> they that'll be a that'll be a good one to explain whenever I get around to covering the books. <laughs> and there's so many of them, um, <laughs> just a few hundred. Yeah, the warp two, like I said, is going to happen uh, by the end of this year. What form it will take, I'm not entirely sure of, because, like I said, I'm really behind on my big finish, because you know I've been, I, I've been summoned to daddy duty so many times, and it's <laughs> it's really hard to sit and listen to something two hours long, or longer, you know, without having to deprive yourself of sleep and do it at two in the morning. Yeah, see, I'm fortunate. I have a um a rather long commute to my day job, so I get about two and a half to three hours in the car every day. So that's where I listen to my stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I used to have that, but I don't now. <laughs> but the, 
Yeah, yeah. And now my, you know, now my morning commute, uh, you know, I have a five-year-old sitting in the back seat. I'm not sure how much apocalyptic danger I can really expose him to, <laughs> you know, without having to stop it down, pause it, and explain every five minutes. Well, this is what's going on. The world's going to end. <laughs> anyway, till the summer, right? he'll be good. <laughs> yeah, the the second book will, at the very least, be the main range, big finish audios, the monthly range. Plus the the major specials like the Four Doctors and the Light at the End, obviously, that's sort of where you have to tie it off for now. Yeah. To declare a cutoff, I'm going to try to get the Lost Stories and the Companion Chronicles in there. It just depends on whether or not I can get caught up with that stuff in time to get the book out before Christmas. I understand the um the Companion Chronicles are coming to an end at the end of the year, or have they already finished those? They they are coming to an end early next year. Early next year, okay. And then they're replacing them with the early stories, which this is kind of a, this is kind of an eyebrow raiser. They're basically going to do yeah do first and second Doctor stories in the same format that they've been doing a first and second Doctor lost stories. Yeah, which which is basically Companion Chronicles format, right? <laughs> and. I, you can get away with it with the second Doctor because Fraser Hines oh, yeah. does this uncanny Troughton voice. You don't really have anything like that for William Hartnell. And I'm not expecting Big Finish to ever go back on, you know, we're not going to recast the deceased Doctors. Although, you know, <laughs> Peter Purvis does a fairly decent Hartnell. Right. Um so, I mean, he's been doing it in, like, the Companion Chronicles, and, and um, William Russell does fairly decent at it as well. So I, I think they can probably get away with it for a while, but, yeah, I, I don't see why. Basically, they're going to be Companion Chronicles, but just for the first and second Doctor. So like, yeah. why stop the Companion Chronicles? Why not just keep it going under that name? Well, I think one of the big reasons the Companion Chronicles came into existence in the first place is because they had four doctors who they were certain were never going to show up, three of them being dead. Yeah. But the fourth one was Tom Baker, and, you know, of course, he was never going to do Big Finish. Well, now Tom Baker's doing Big Finish. Mm -hmm. And so... So, Sinopatulov, come on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I don't know what they're planning on doing with Pertwee. You know, they probably figure that the Paradise of Death... And ghosts of end space are all we'll ever need. <laughs> I mean, if if you're gonna do it that way, because I mean, the, the the thing that they set forward, the mandate they set forward was basically was because it was '60s black and white Doctor Who. So right. These these early Doctor Who's were gonna be, and they've got Doctors four through eight that they can do actual audio adventures with, but that still leaves out Pertwee. He's my favorite one. Come on, <laughs> give me some. Well. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can... And they haven't even... They're just now at the... They're also cutting off the Lost Stories mm-hmm, Yeah. at the end of this year. Which I'm, I'm and not la- surprised those lasted as long as they did, because, I mean, eventually you run out of them. I mean... Yeah, well, and they had already run into accusations that they had kind of fudged the mandate on that range because some of the, uh, some of the McCoy Lost Stories, which I loved, oh, by yeah, the way. Oh, yeah, those were great. Uh, some of them were freshly written from old outlines that were, you know, barely more than a collection of scenes. Well, we'd like this, this, and this to happen to possibly 
set up a new companion. And but they didn't have the full story worked out. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm you know, the the judges will allow that because they had Andrew Cartmel and Ben Aronovich actually working the scripts. So if anyone knew what they would have come up with, I think they would have been the ones to know. Oh yeah, exactly. They had the writers from that time do what they would have done at that time. Yes. So it was completely written from scratch other than the few basic outline ideas. Right. But I don't have a problem with that, as long as this new Doctor Who that I haven't had before. Exactly. <laughs> and I uh, I don't have a problem with the Lost Stories bowing out. Like you said, it's amazing they've lasted as long as they did. I'm a little bit disappointed that they ditched the Lost Stories before they could get more Tom Baker out of it. Because, honestly, the Tom Baker Lost Stories box set, that is, that is my favorite big finish Tom Baker so far. Because it actually ran to the full, the full length that we are accustomed to for a Doctor Who story, as opposed to these single CD two-parters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, those were um, those were really good. And you know, one of my favorites is um, Farewell, Great Macedon. Right. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I love the true historicals. Yeah, I one of my. Man, I don't want to spend the whole thing bagging on the new show. I would love it. You know, talking about getting some big finish blood into the office at Cardiff. I would love it if they could do a historical show where there is no giant alien wasp. <laughs> or some blind, invisible alien chicken thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a little bit insulting to the viewer's intelligence. But uh, the prime, yeah, the prime example is Vincent and the Doctor. That would have been a beautiful episode with absolutely no sci-fi elements other than the Doctor and Amy and the TARDIS. Yeah, it didn't need the the invisible chicken thing, right? <laughs> and new from KFC. <laughs> but the the alien you know, the alien angle on that was a distraction that took away from what was otherwise a fantastic character study of a real historical figure oh yeah i mean it and it been awesome know, they, without it. yeah they redeemed it at the end with the you know the, the little time travel to the future mm -hmm. and you know and yet the still certain knowledge that that is not going to change what happens to this person and but the, there's so much drama just in that you, like you said, we don't need invisible chicken. Yeah, no. I'm one of my favorite stories from the classic season or the classic series was the Aztecs. Right. I love that story. It's awesome. And yeah, there is there is plenty of you know there's plenty of drama there just among the regulars. Oh yeah. Because you really have there the classic argument over whether or not to change history, and I'm not sure that has ever been presented better mm -hmm. than that show. That went out in 1964. Well, and you get to see Ian, a school teacher from London, take down an Aztec warrior with his thumb. Exactly. <laughs> I love that scene. That's awesome. That's a great scene. I'll, I'll just use my thumb. <laughs> I know jujitsu. Show me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's. Uh... Yeah, it's. Uh... That went off the rails. Sorry. Yeah, I mean that's um, one of my favorite stories of of 
all the Doctor Who's of books, yeah. comics, audios, the episodes, everything is the Aztecs. I, I watch it at least once a year, if not more often. Um, <laughs> and I'm just amazed at how well the DVD of it looks because you pop the DVD in and it looks like they recorded the thing yesterday. Yeah. In black and white, yeah. but still. But, I mean, yeah. it's crystal clear. It. Yeah, the DVD restorations beautiful. are astounding. Uh, like, yeah, it was like I was pointing out earlier. We are, we are spoiled for choice. I mean, yeah, if you want more Doctor Who than you've ever had in a single year before, obviously, you know, we've got the DVDs, and they're doing up to and including Terror of the Zygons this year, mm-hmm. for you know, for obvious tie-in reasons. Yeah. Uh, it's my understanding that they have to they. They're supposed to have them all out by November 23rd for all the classics that they have intact. That would be interesting. And then we have the rumors about the classics that aren't intact. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, I can't believe we're still going on about that with... <laughs> I don't want to trash this. I don't even want to, I want to trash the site that's keeping these rumors alive. I don't even want to name the site that's keeping the rumors alive. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> but, you know, I love I love this stuff. You know, I was at a Doctor Who-related dinner party the other night. It's like, really? <laughs> I only ever get invited to Star Cops parties, and everyone gets drunk and starts singing along to the Justin Hayward song at the end. Where do these parties happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's my invite? But it's... I don't know. It's just kind of embarrassing because... Yes, we would all like to see this stuff show up. No, I don't think it's any more likely now than it was you know, whenever they found, what was it, Part 3 of Galaxy 4? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Airlock and... Um... And the Underwater Menace, you know, the episode they found of that, which, you know, spazzy dancing fish people, man, that is the episode I want recovered right there. I want them all. <laughs> it, it would be nice to have them all, but... It, I, it, it's just not likely. That was the only reason I gave those rumors any credence the last time they came around was because there was this big list of ones that were going to be recovered. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, so if you were going to fake this, why would you not list the moon base as one of the ones that was recovered? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's the one everybody wants back. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, oh, hey, we found all of the Daleks master plan, including the Feast of Stephen. Yeah. Of course, I, of course, I think that would probably uh, jump the shark into being completely non-credible if someone said that, because that that didn't even get sold overseas, mm-hmm. you know, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was that even if you listen to the audio, it's it's kind of cringeworthy. But I, you know, I keep delaying the second edition of Warp One. There's going to be a second edition to go along with the second volume. Um. And the adjustments are going to be very minor. There's going to be a couple of extra illustrations and a couple of minor notes, you know, dropping in notes about, you know, the Ice Warriors next show up in Cold War, which obviously I couldn't have written that in yeah. 2012, <laughs> you know, and talking about the next time the Great Intelligence shows up. It's really minor stuff. You know, if you actually watch the show, you're probably not probably not missing out on anything in the second edition. And, but, yeah, there are also some typesetting and grammatical errors that I wanted to... Hey, you're always going to find something like that. <laughs> they nag away. I, I, I could pick it up off the shelf, read it now, and, you know, flip to some random page and be going, No! <laughs> After about ten seconds. <laughs> you forgot the Oxford comma, damn you! 
But um, now, actually getting around to uh, to what's going on right now, and I feel bad because I haven't gotten to this to until our the end topic, of the show. <laughs> the, yes. the reason we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to the teaser. Here's the show. Um, the Warp One is part of the Doctor Who Story Bundle, which is still live for another week if you go to storybundle.com. The deal there is our our fearless editors, Jason Chen and Simon Carlos, gathered a bunch of books on the subject of Doctor Who together, some of them unauthorized, some of them... Uh, one of them is the memoir of Barry Letts, mm-hmm. who was the producer during the Pertwee years. And that book alone is worth the price of admission. Oh, yeah. Um... Actually, let me let me let me call up the list and see what, what all is in there. I don't there. actually yeah. have the um the Barry Letts one in the book form, but I have bought the um the Audible audiobook of it. Yeah. I just haven't gotten around to listening to it because I'm stuck on Game of Thrones. <laughs> I, I have I have heard the audio. I I listened to that before the book came out. There's more material in the in the print version. Really? Okay, I'll have to pick up a copy of that then. And uh, and also the ebook version. So so there's your selling point. Yeah. <laughs> So, but I I do love the uh, I do love the audio version. I mean, there's nothing like having someone sit there and tell you their story, mm-hmm. and you know, and you know, then you can chase it down with the John Nathan Turner memoirs. Well, I've I've listened to those. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> but I'm that guy. <laughs> yeah, I I am that guy too. But uh, the story bundle, the basic the basic bundle of four books is Who and Me by Barry Letts, Dalek I Loved You by Nick Griffiths, which apparently that one's been endorsed by David Tennant himself. Oh, cool. Um, Dining with the Doctor by Chris Rachel Osland, which is a it's an unofficial Doctor Who cookbook, most of it revolving around the new series, but we, we already had a, a classic series Doctor Who cookbook. Yes, we did. I seem to remember W.H. Uh, Allen did one of those in the 80s, so... Mm-hmm. This is just bringing it up to date. <laughs> and uh, you can get all of all four of those for as little as three dollars in ebook form. Uh, they are all DRM free. I think you left out one of them, um, the TARDIS. TARDIS, TARDIS Eruditorium, yeah. Volume Two. Yes, by Philip Sandifer, and that covers the Troughton years. And I, I love the cover he has on that because. Even if you get the book brand new, it, it looks like some dog-eared old Cliff Notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the artwork on it too. It's, it's yeah. really nice. But uh, those are those four can be gotten for as little as three dollars, and the the books are all formatted in a variety of formats. So you can read them on Kindle, you can read them on Nook, just about any e-reader. Most phones or tablets, I've found can handle it Mm -hmm. um if you go past the ten dollar mark you get more tardis eruditorium uh the best of tardis eruditorium in fact which is a sort of an edited selection of the best material covering all eras which philip assembled that himself just for story bundle oh cool it's not available anywhere else at present I have no idea if he's going to make it available down the road, in fact. Yeah, see, I, I have the, the TARDIS Auditorium hardbacks, uh, or the, the paperbacks, in um, in my Amazon wish list. So. They're good stuff. They're, they're good stuff. I, I have the Hartnell book. 
and I it, it's interesting to it's interesting to see what other people glean out of the same material that I've already covered. Mm-hmm. And well, that's why I like yeah. reading the episode guides where it's got personal reviews in them like yours because right. I can I can read it and see what you thought about it and it may, you may have thought about it in a different way than I did which puts a new perspective on it for me. Right. And uh, Philip really, you know, really goes into social context of the times and explains stuff that may seem out of whack with modern, I don't want to say values. <laughs> that sounds like it's turning into a political discussion. But it, it just seems out of whack with, you know, modern modern style of storytelling or something that you would even hear people talking about mm-hmm. these days. And they go into yeah. a lot of that on the um, the DVD bonus features and stuff on the episodes where they'll talk about, you know, this is why we did it because this was going on in, in politics or, you know, fashion or whatever at the time. That's why this looks this way or that's why this story was written this way. So I, I like that kind of stuff. I always watch all the bonus features just to get a feel for why they did it that way in, in that time. And Yeah. And it really... It really, I have found that the biggest difference between old series and new isn't so much a question of... I mean, it is a question of content, but it's a question of pacing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a huge difference in the pacing. And it's... It, you know, the, you used to have shows like Space 1999, which I I have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with Space 1999. But I did appreciate that for this show that focuses on you know, the loneliness and the isolation of being that far away from Earth, there was this very languid pace. Stuff did not happen fast in that show. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't. <laughs> and, and and you had this, you know, morose, very gray music going on in the background that just, you know, it, this really this applies to the first season. The second season, they got Freddie Freeberger in there producing. And, you know, let's stick hunter orange jackets on everybody and do the <laughs> disco music baby maya's gonna turn into another animal from a planet that she's never visited let's go <laughs> and so you'd <laughs> second season of space 1999 in a nutshell right there yeah uh, got a little trippy <laughs> yeah <laughs> just just i actually i think in a few places it got a big trippy <laughs> but anyway uh kind of off tracks are yeah yes. pacing <laughs> Pacing is a huge difference because in the 70s, you used to have this mandate to fill this much time. You know, we're giving you 54 minutes. By God, you better fill it. And so this is why you have the end credits of Blake 7 playing out so slow, <laughs> you know, panning panning over this wobbly star background that's painted somewhere in the studio. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, now there's some stories I wish they would allocate the the time of a four part Doctor Who episode too, but you know every time I find myself complaining about that, it's time to turn off the TV and go do some big finish <laughs> because they are they are still living in that format and bless them for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the ones that I thought particularly needed that was um, the Power of Three. Yes, because <clears throat> it was supposed to be this slow invasion thing, but we wrapped it up in forty five minutes. Right. And the end didn't make any sense again because, you know, the doctor and everybody leaves that ship with all those people there that the aliens kidnapped and let it explode. Yeah. <laughs> with, with all these people on it. But, Surely there really? will be some questions asked. <laughs> and all these people whose hearts stopped 20 minutes ago just all of a sudden get up and 
walk off. Yeah. Should they be dead? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing if your heart stopped, you know, a minute ago. That's that's okay. But if you've been on the ground for half an hour, um, yeah, it ain't coming back. Yeah, they're they're probably headed for cold storage at that point. Yeah. But yeah, that was yeah that was something that was supposed to play out over, you know, several days. And it doesn't. Of course, nowadays they're making it for the international market. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay if they wrap it up in 42 minutes because, you know, it's going to hit Canada and it's going to hit the U.S. and there's going to be commercials galore. Yeah. Yeah, but they could still do a two-parter. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, it, Would it the, half, give us a give us a two-parter, give us a nice unit. Um, yeah. Invasion story, you know, that, that would have been awesome. I, I, I would love to get... A good old-fashioned unit story. Yeah. Well, and we're getting Kate Stewart back in the 50th anniversary special. Oh, yeah? I now, haven't heard now that the, one. The thing that I love pointing out to people is Kate Stewart, that character, the Brigadier's daughter, does not originate in the new TV series. No, she originated in Shakedown. Yes, or um, downtime. 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 Yes. yes, thank you. And the the actresses don't even look dissimilar. Hmm. And so I thought that was a that was one of those acknowledgments of the in between series years that just floored me. Now, either either they somehow didn't know and yet still managed not to <laughs> contradict anything, or or they knew going in. I'm sitting here thinking, these people had to know that. Yeah, they, someone had to have told them. <laughs> oh, but we have deviated wildly. Um, yes. What else is in the bonus package for the um, the story bundle? The bonus package for the story bundle is the best of Tardis Eruditorum and my own book, Warp 1. Now, the version of Warp 1 that comes in the story bundle, they when Simon and Jason contacted me, I was beginning my revisions for the second edition. And... I actually I actually put them on hold for quite a while. Please let me finish revising to the point that I'm sure they were kind of scratching their heads and going, "Why did why did we bring this guy in on this?" And yet the the delay resulted in the story bundle launching 2 days after the announcement of Peter Capaldi being the 12th Doctor. Oh, so, you... you're welcome, guys. Exactly. You um, couldn't get much better timing than that. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. So you're getting kind of a a hybrid first and second edition of Warp 1, still has the old cover, still doesn't have an index. The The index is the big addition to the second printing because it, it's conspicuous by its absence in the first <laughs> edition and a lot of people wrote to me saying why is there not an index in this book? Well, because it's an episode guide. It goes from the beginning to the end. You know? <laughs> True, but I, I felt that perhaps they had a point. I mean, I have the the little iconography set up in there the you know the strange little symbols where and, and yes i i have i have in fact heard that my hand-drawn cyberman looks like marvin the paranoid android <laughs> but you know going back to spare parts you know if anyone's going to be depressed i would say it would be the cyberman yeah but <laughs> but um if you if you spend more than ten dollars you get the bonus books which you know at the at the risk of bragging just a little bit, I normally charge $18 for Warp 1. And so you're spending $10 to get that and five other books 
that's probably not the worst deal anyone's put in front of you all week. Oh yeah, no, I mean it's it's an excellent deal. Um, I'm definitely gonna have to take advantage of it myself because, like you said, yeah. there's extra stuff in the Who and Me um, book that's not in the audio. So <laughs> the yeah, I believe he had it all written out, but only covered so much ground in the audio and intended to do a second volume on audio that for obvious reasons never happened yeah unfortunately yeah but the story bundle is still live until august 20th because the way story bundle works is they roll this out for two or three weeks at a time i mean they've had bundles of original sci-fi novels with people like uh kevin j anderson as the authors, you know, people you don't normally associate with being, <coughs> excuse me, uh, people you don't normally associate with being indie authors. Yeah. Because these guys have publishers and editors <laughs> and other people driving their cars for them, I imagine. <laughs> Quite possibly. Uh, but um, they've had some, they've had some reasonably, reasonably big names. They had a, they had a video game history bundle earlier this year, which was fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because a couple of friends of mine had books in there. <laughs> so it's um, it's an interesting concept. I am happy beyond belief that they contacted me for it because I had, I had sort of settled into this perhaps self-defeating pattern that, well, yeah, my book's important to me. I'm not sure about anyone else. <laughs> and... Uh, so when they contacted me, I was, yeah, I was quite flattered about that, and I would, I would happily do it again. So I hope they, hope they keep that in mind when we're doing the 55th anniversary, <laughs> one of these years. Well, I gotta say, your your book is a, um, a giant tome of a work here. It's it's a large coffee table book that's a good you know inch thick if not thicker oh, yeah it's potential <laughs> weapon material you whack someone over the head with and it. i mean if, if you're interested in learning about the classic series of doctor who this is an excellent um episode guide that takes you through every story and gives you de background details and interconnects the stories where they do connect and even links it to some of the audios and some of the books and it's an excellent read like i said i haven't read the whole thing but i have fingered through it and read up on some of my favorite episodes like the horror fang rock right that's one of my all-time favorites right there and um it's it's a really good read it really is well, i'm thank you very much i'm glad you like it i'm i'm continuing to pound the convention pavement with copies of it later this year um i will be at GlitchCon in springdale arkansas weekend of august 23rd through the 25th that's about an hour north of fort smith where consplosion was and i have already contacted the uh the consplosion con con to see if they see if they want me back to ramble <laughs> some more this year um because i've i'm definitely interested in doing another who panel only this time i'm actually going to I, i've bought a printer that will print my whole sheet i don't know if you're aware of the story behind that <laughs> that rather rambly panel that I did last year, I, I had an outline written out to defeat Rambleitis, <laughs> which is easy for me to say, you know, an hour and a half into the podcast when I've been going all over well, the place. In your defense, I was at that panel last year, and I'm probably to blame for some of the rambling. 
oh no, no, you actually kept it on track in places. <laughs> I was grateful to have someone I... there to to ask questions about big finish and things like that because <laughs> I uh, I printed my outline literally right before walking out the door. I had just taken a you know a big box of books out to the car, and I just dropped my son off at his grandparents. Because that he he was four at the time, that just wasn't going to work. Having him sit in on the panel with me, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so you know, I got there in front of everyone, unfolded my paper, and it half of the outline had printed. <laughs> not the top half, not the bottom half, the left half. <laughs> and, <laughs> I'm sorry. And so that's why you know, if you're if you're wondering why I was up there, kind of shaking with. <laughs> beads of sweat breaking out on my forehead. I was just sitting there going, you know, it's one of those slow-mo moments. No! Well, hi, folks. So, that's how it starts. Well, I'm uh, hoping to do better this year. <laughs> I, I think we've proven that we can both pretty much talk about Doctor Who for an hour or more. Um, yes. <laughs> so I don't think Easily. real problems. Um, maybe staying on point might be a problem for both of us, but that's... Um, <laughs> that's an, entirely different story at least we'd be covering something on the topic <laughs> true <laughs> things that may have been on tv for 500 dollars, alex yep but I, I i plan on being at consplosion this year and if, if you are there i will be in attendance of your panels so <laughs> right i've i've asked them to uh to also block out time for a british sci-fi that isn't doctor who panel <laughs> Because I am actually that is actually one of the books that I'm working on right now is 42 British sci-fi TV classics that are not Doctor Who, and it literally says that on the cover. <laughs> 42 of them, huh? Yes. It, well, <laughs> it, it, you're doing British sci-fi is you've got to cover 42 of them. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> now the the problem with that is that it has led me down some very dark alleys of things that no one should ever have to watch. The good news is that I will point out in the book so no one has to watch it again. <laughs> Uh, I mean, four words for everyone. Come back, Mrs. Noah. I have not heard don't, of that one. Don't ever go there. It, it's what you would – well, it's what you get if you have the people who do Are You Being Served try to do a sci-fi sitcom. Oh, wow. That... It, last, it lasted six episodes. Red Dwarf, it ain't. I mean, it's not even up to hyper hyperspace – hyperdrive standards. Uh. Hyper, that's what it was. <laughs> that, um, that does sound truly terrifying. Um <laughs> I yeah it 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 took me a long time to finish that chapter of the book because you know I'd I'd finish each half hour episode and I would run weeping for the intellectual cleansing power of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, you have that to look forward to. The the good news is all of you folks just have to read about me watching it and not actually have to watch it yourself. <laughs> But see, then I'm tempted to watch it to see if it's really that bad. Because, see, I, I review Siffy Channel movies. <laughs> I watched Ghost Shark last night. Oh, I forgot that was on. Uh, it, it hasn't aired yet. They send me screeners for them. Oh, okay. And, um, I, I... <laughs> Ghost Shark. Well. Richard Mall is the only saving grace in that movie. Let's put it that way. <laughs> When Richard Mall is your saving grace, boy, we've we've got to have a discussion about this. He is an underrated actor. He should be I, in more things. I, I love him to death. I mean, I you know he would show up in stuff like Highlander the series uh -huh. and Babylon Five in the nineties. Oh yeah, and it would be oh great, Richard Mall. 
and yet you can't look at him and not see Bull from Night Court. <laughs> it is hard, but once once he's got the full head of hair and a beard, it's a little easier. But yeah, but yeah, you you still think Bull? Cause, I mean, he did it for what nine years. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those it's one of those indelible characters, you know. And it's to his credit that you know you look at the poor guy out there trying to earn his next paycheck, and you're going, "Hey, it's Bull." Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he obviously made a mark, whether or not it left a mark on his career. Uh, only only he can answer these questions for us. Yeah. He was the only reason I did not claw my eyes out last night watching that movie. Wow. <laughs> That's, uh... Yeah. There, but for the grace of God, go I. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, um... Your website is uh, thelogbook.com, right? Yes, it is. There on, and you run a podcast. You said earlier when I was talking to you before recording that it's a daily podcast. Yes, the Escape Pod. Escape. And it's it, and the funny thing is about you know, one of the first times it got a mention on another site, and everyone was like, "Oh, great! This sounds like." This sounds like fun, and then you you know you get about three or four comments down, and there's always some guy who pops up. Um, there's already a podcast out there called the Escape Pod, to which I can only say sorry. <laughs> Oops. Too bad. I'm but, no. <laughs> Yeah, and and the same thing happened with Vorp One. Uh, I started on that, and and found out right before I actually you know started printing the suckers. That there has been a fanzine called Vorp Vorp, but it's yeah. a fanzine that revolves around the look and feel of Doctor Who magazine when it first launched as Doctor Who Weekly. It's kind of like a fanzine <laughs> for the magazine. But it's a fanzine for the comics from the magazine. Yeah, if that makes any sense. I've actually seen that. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I hope those guys aren't too terribly mad at me. But, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I've made the announcement, the book's about to come out, and what? Someone already took it? <laughs> so, the yeah. anyway, the escape pod is sort of a – it's what you would get if you had a daily Today in History radio segment, you know, like on someone's morning show, except it was all geek stuff. You know, it covers space missions and computer history. And, you know, we give shout-outs to astronomers that everyone has forgotten, you know, on their birthday. You know, on their 118th birthdays, obviously, they're not still listening. <laughs> and at the end, there are anniversaries of episodes, you know, major episodes. The best of both worlds for Next Gen was a, a recent – well, I say recent one. Actually, it's about two months ago. I record these things in huge blocks and so I'm I forget what has aired and what has already aired and what aired a long time ago. Yeah. And obviously I'm an old radio guy because I'm sitting here saying aired like this has actually come out of a transmitter somewhere which <laughs> if it has it's a surprise to me, I'll put it that way. But it's, you know, I try to keep it lively, I try to keep it funny and really I try to keep it brief because if if this podcast has proven nothing else, it is that I can go off the rails with, you know, at top speed and stay off the rails. <laughs> and in coming up with the escape pod idea, I sort of sat down and wrote down a list. Okay, what was I good at doing when I was working in radio? Oh, yeah. 
talking for 30 minutes solid was not on the list. <laughs> so it's all it's all written out very tightly and recorded very tightly and it you know it's it's a little bit of the old Mr. Radio voice but it's um you know it's it's meant to be fun, you know, listen to it on the drive to work every day, that sort of thing. Yeah. And if, if it's short like that, you can listen to a handful of them at once if you need to, or do one every day. Right. It, the fact that it is daily, I think, may have may have hurt it a little bit because it's not, uh, you know, it it's not exactly setting the download results on fire, according to my latest site stats. But I am bound and determined that this is not going to be one of those projects that I start and never finish. So how long have you been running the, the escape pod? The, the escape pod has been going since March. And actually, it will probably keep going into next March, to the end of next March, because I will re-record the March episodes from this year. Because when I started out, I was tying, you know, I was saying, it's March 25th, 2013. This is the escape pod. Mm-hmm. And you know, the thought occurred to me, you know what? I'm going to be re-recording 365 of these puppies a year if I keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, because the same stuff happens this year that happened next year on this date. So right. Just add and, to it. <laughs> yeah, if there's something major, I can go in and re-record one because I've kept all the scripts. I've kept all the timelines in my editing program so I can revisit them at any time. And... So I am I am bound and determined to actually get this thing finished for a whole year and then you know coast along as best <laughs> I can for a while because I'm aware that you know there'll always be something new for someone even if even if it hits a point where it is largely unrevised because I in my wildest imagination I am not envisioning anyone will sit down and hey, I'm gonna download 365 podcasts in one shot <laughs> and listen to them all. No, there someone's gonna download, you know, their birthday mm-hmm, yeah. or or some other historical date, and you know, and they'll be satisfied with that. I'm I'm not anticipating anyone's going to listen to a marathon run of them in one sitting. <laughs> I can't listen to a marathon run of them in one sitting. Well, that sounds pretty cool. Um... I'm going to have to check it out because like I, I wasn't aware you had a podcast until just recently, so I'll have to um, check out my birthday one. <laughs> it's a, yeah, there you go. It's a, it, it's a bit low-key because as, as with so many of my projects, I get so involved in making the thing that I sometimes forget to get out there and promote the thing. And so it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that exists and no one knows about it. Yeah. But like I said, I'm I am determined to complete it because it's been around for I've recorded stuff for September. So, you know, I can safely say there's six months worth of material. I might as well plow ahead and finish the thing out. Yeah, you're halfway there already. So Yeah. <laughs> but it takes a the research takes a lot of time, the writing takes a lot of time and there you know, there have been a couple occasions where I'm up at two in the morning writing these little five-minute radio scripts, and I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I could be writing a book that I could charge people for. What an idea that would be. Yeah. Yeah, and but, like I said, I don't know how you keep up with all that stuff anyway, because the, the research would kill me on something like that. It's called unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's the dark secret at the heart of it all. But I am, you know, between the books and 
you know, stuff like the story bundle that kind of brings the book bubbling back up to the mm-hmm. surface, convention appearances and so on. I am I am taking a I'm taking my best swipe at the impossible dream that this is how I make my living from here on out. Well, I wish you luck at it. Um, it well, it's kind of funny because I, I actually had a job interview the other day. First one I've had in weeks. And the funny thing was that I, I became aware and listening to these people talk about, you know, what what of my work they had looked at, they are not looking at my old radio and TV work, which is now seven years in the past. You know, they're they're looking at the logbook. That's my resume piece yeah. now. And you know, I'm up for a social media position. And, you know, I'm sitting there saying, Oh God, I just blogged about my cats last night. You looked up my website, it's my <laughs> audition piece. I'm doomed. <laughs> yes, but you're also a published author. So Yes, I am. And I I ride that horse pretty hard wherever applicable. <laughs> Doesn't get you a better seat at restaurants, though, I can tell you that much. I, I mean, I haven't even been able to get the thing stocked locally. <laughs> so well, I, will, um, I will definitely be picking up a copy of Warp 2 when you get that one out, because, like I said, this one is, is excellent, and I will, I'm definitely looking forward to the, the next one. Is it going to cover um, just the, the last couple of seasons, or is it also going to cover a lot more of the, the books and the audios? Warp 2 will cover everything that came out since Warp 1 on TV, so basically it's going to cover Season 7 through the anniversary special. I mean, it's kind of awkward to put put a book out there right before a change of Doctor, but it seems to me like that's a good clean cutoff. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, you know, if you're going to declare a cutoff point for the, you know, for the sake of peace and sanity and getting the damn thing out the door, then that's as good a cutoff as any. Uh, it will also cover the main range audios from Big Finish, and hopefully, hopefully, if I can get caught up on them, the Lost Stories and the Companion Chronicles. Yeah. And it will also cover the... I, I hesitate to call them fan films because that makes it sound like I'm comparing them to Star Trek Phase 2 or something. But the, the fan-made video productions that kept everything, you know, that actually kept some of this stuff on TV screens in the 90s. Oh, it's like the, the Downtime. And downtime, Shakedown, and all of those. The, what were the other? The um, Air Zone. Yeah, the Air Zone Solution, which was as close as we actually got to a 30th anniversary special, yeah. and it's... Not even technically Doctor Who, no. But stuff like the Auton series, mm-hmm. which the, the fan the fan made video productions, boy, that's uh, you talk about widely varying quality. Some of them are wonderful. Some of them, I'm just not going to get that hour of my life back ever again. <laughs> yeah. But they're, but by and large, they're they've also fallen out of availability. So I think it's safe to write about them critically, you know, without worrying that Bill Baggs is going to be sitting somewhere cursing my name, <laughs> you know, because I trashed one of his things that he did in 1995. I don't think that'll stop him. It's <laughs> probably not. I don't. I don't know Bill personally. I'm just <laughs> throwing him out there as an example. He probably dislikes me greatly by now. But the 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 point is that uh, these things that is. The fan-made productions are the most obscure element of the wilderness years because they are often at a total disconnect to each other. Mm-hmm. As some of them, at best, you have to push them off into an alternate universe. So, are you going to try and cover also like the the fan-made audios, like the the audio visuals and the BBVs and stuff like that, or? 
I will probably cover those either in in third or fourth book whenever I get around to doing the Big Finish spinoffs. Okay. Because the the second book is not going to cover Dalek Empire, Cyberman, Jago and Lightfoot, Gallifrey, that sort of thing. There's just – again, it's about – it's about declaring a sensible cutoff. <laughs> what can I listen to and catch up on? Oh, yeah. There's so many big finished spinoffs. I mean, in addition to those, you've got the Graceless and Unit right. Dominion. and um, Now they have Vienna. Yeah, Vienna and the, the one with the, the gang from Remembrance of the Daleks, Countermeasures. Yes. Um, it's just, they're always coming out with some new spinoff series. I would – yeah, I would really like for the for the new series, old series dividing line to be broken – so even if Moffat leaves us, we can be guaranteed of our continued supply of Strax. You talk about some characters who need their own spinoff. Yeah, it's just unfortunate they keep showing up in Moffat episodes. Because um, <laughs> they are funny when they show up, especially Strax and like the, the memory worm. Um, yes. <laughs> I've been run over. <laughs> um, alert. Alert. I've been run over. Surrender your women and your intellectuals. That's a that's a great character, but um, I I think they could actually be taken seriously in their own stories if they weren't being written as wall to wall comic relief. Yeah. yeah. And you know that was one of the nice things they did with the series finale was you know Strax is suddenly a threat again and we have to do away with him. <laughs> didn't didn't see that coming. Yeah, or she but, blows him away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that was quick. But the uh, anyway, yeah. There's lots of there's lots of big finish spin offage there, and I really think <clears throat> whenever I get around to covering those, that would probably be where the audio visuals show up. All right, cool. Um, yeah, because I I love the audio visuals, <laughs> and you know, and the BBV audios because as as much of a st- sticking point as they were legally with the BBC, mm-hmm. I think that some of the uh some of the mccoy and sophie aldred audios that came out under the bbv label were fantastic oh yeah yeah the the professor and ace right the, you know even if they couldn't call them that yeah, the, the travelers <laughs> stories yeah <laughs> yes yeah and pretty good even though they occasionally lapsed into weird stuff like you know we're going to and put a topless picture of Sophie from the back on the cover. <laughs> just because. It's an ace special. <laughs> yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure that sold a few. <laughs> it probably did. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's why they did that. <laughs> yeah. But in any case, uh, yeah, I generally don't spend a lot of time reviewing the covers, so that's <laughs> that's all fine and well. But there's so much stuff, you know, I I I set out thinking, okay, I'm going to write three books. Now I'm sitting there thinking, there's no way this can be done in under four. (laughs) And all this time, the TV series is still going on. Mm -hmm. And we may yet get a second season of K-9, which is a spinoff that I I love on a total guilty pleasure level. (laughs) And, you know, I actually hope it continues, even though they're waiting so long to make it. Those kids are all going to be beyond college age by the time they get in front of a camera again. Mm -hmm. I... I have to say, I caught it when um, the Siffy Channel ran a, a marathon, and I, I call them the Siffy Channel because until they spell it right, I'm not going to pronounce it right. Exactly. And um, they ran a marathon. I think it was on Christmas Day or New Year's Day. Yes. Last year. Yeah, was, I, yes. I hadn't actually had a chance to watch it until then, and I watched it. 
and it's very clearly written for small children. Yes. And, I mean, it's not even Sarah Jane Adventures yeah, material. Yeah, Sarah Jane Adventures were excellent. Those, those were yeah. fantastic. But I sat there and I watched them, and the biggest problem I had with them was when they would reference something from the classic series, it was wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, no, that's not right. You know, I, I forgot what planet he was, but he mentions, you know, the, that planet's uninhabited. I'm like, no, it's not. There's a civilization there. We saw it. <laughs> the doctor went there. Actually, I think I, I think I actually covered that in the book. It was because uh, he mentioned Zeos, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they're talking about how it's barren and uninhabited. And I'm like, well, I guess the Atrios Zeos war didn't end well for them. <laughs> I'm like, no, we saw that. It was there. There were people. <laughs> it, it, it's either an alternate universe, or you know, you can just infer that the war did not go their way. <laughs> yeah, w- which it seldom does for anyone, truthfully, but. Still, but it was it was just things like that. It really irritated me about it. Yeah, and they're talking about their list of you know extraterrestrial alien species, and a sea devil shows up. It's wait a minute, that's from Earth. Yeah, they're not extraterrestrial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I suppose you know considering the the licensing firewall behind which that show is produced, <laughs> you know we should be happy to be getting any references at all. Oh, that's true. Uh, and it's it's a good little show for for kids. Um, you know, it opens their their brains up to these bigger concepts and and sci-fi thoughts and everything without being too grim and dark. And you know, we're gonna blow up the planet and everyone's gonna die. Although that is mentioned a couple times, they yeah. don't dwell on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, or or they do a clip show where they literally wear tinfoil hats. I I. <laughs> Yeah. Found that both entertaining and horrifying. But anyway, yes. that's a uh, K nine is one of the, the the other thing. I'm mean, actually I can bring this back around to center. Um, <laughs> the second book will also cover the spinoff TV series, so it's going to cover Torchwood, Sarah Jane Adventures, and K nine. Oh, cool. And uh, that will probably be where the Mark Gatiss uh, docu drama shows up mm-hmm. among the spinoffs. Because I do plan on covering that. They, they can't expect me not to cover that after building that beautiful set that they did for the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, I've seen the photos of that. That thing looks amazing. Which they've, uh, I saw a YouTube video the other day. They moved that to the exhibition in Cardiff. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, now I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> yep, now we have the old set. I. I adored that William Hartnell set, the the original one with the big hexagonal light thing hanging off the ceiling, and yes, at at a canted angle, no uh-huh. less. And that extremely intricate um, column in the console that the time rotor that would turn when it would go up and down, and it had all the, right. The, the thing just looked amazing compared to like the Pertwee console. Yeah, where you know where you literally have you know, some little short guy in the console, you know, standing up and crouching down to move the column, and the... which they actually had to do that at some point. <laughs> it's either in the Pertwee or the Baker years because the, the they had some air, air jack mechanism in there that broke down. <laughs> you know, so who's the shortest stagehand? Okay, get in there. <laughs> Into the box with you. And then they forget him there for three weeks. I've never heard um, that one before, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. It's... <laughs> 
but it, it, but the funny thing is it, the they reconstructed that set so beautifully and yet at the same time you know, one has to wonder how much did they spend <laughs> making it look old yeah making it look like that old set yeah probably quite a lot <laughs> yeah because something something tells me it is probably superior in every regard to what was actually in studio at Lime Grove because you know the advances in materials and you know and how you how you build things probably had it machined instead of hands you know hand sanding it <laughs> so oh, it'll yeah. it'll be interesting to see now in my favorite blasphemous suggestion to start up is that they should take the cast from that movie and have them reshoot the missing episodes for more to go. <laughs> hey, if I could get to see them, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. So, well, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to get on the internet, throw that suggestion out there, and then run out of the room giggling. I, I, I have, um, you know, I've listened to all the audios of the, the missing episodes. Yes. But I, I would love to get to see them on the screen, whether it's refilmed like that or if they would just do the, the animation thing like they did recently with the Reign of Terror, right? the Invasion. Um, I'm good with either one of those. If I can buy it on DVD and watch it and fill out my I, collection, I want the, the shelf full with all of them, no spaces. Right. <laughs> and, and yet you wonder if there's going to be a market for the Daleks master plan when you're basically talking about three DVDs and only three half hours out of that could possibly be live action. Mm -hmm. I would buy it. And, <laughs> and well, you know, it's easy for you and me to say that because I, I used to have a job where I was, you know, stuck back in a room by myself for large portions of my shift. And I sat and listened to the Daleks master plan over two nights. Mm -hmm. And the thought that struck me immediately was, man, Daleks used to talk really slow. <laughs> That there's no reason that couldn't have been done in about eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, other than they had to fill twelve episodes. <laughs> exactly. So it's that's kind of like the invasion. It was originally supposed to be four episodes, eight, <laughs> so they had to stretch it out. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see, you know, how far the public is willing to go with this. You know, what, what do we do when we wind up with something like the Highlanders, where nothing exists? Hmm. And, you know, you have maybe six reference photos to work from, and you've just got to make it up from there. Yeah. Um, you get errors, like in the invasion where they've got Zoe in the wrong outfit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yet I'm, you know, I'm so glad they've returned to doing the animated episodes, because I remember when the invasion first came out, I was really jazzed about that. And then apparently at the time, it did not sell very well. Yeah, which amazed me, because I... I had always wanted to see that episode ever since I was a little kid. Yeah. And I have the, the book. I've actually got the, the target book of that one in paperback and hardback. And, and I've read through it a couple times. I've, I've listened to the audios, but I, I was, I pre-ordered that thing as soon oh, yeah. as Amazon had it. Oh, I mean, I had, I had, I had even been willing to put up with the VHS, you know, where, you know, we're going to put Nick Courtney in chair, yeah. you know, in, in his, plush reading room and have him give you this 10 minute rundown of what happens in the missing show. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. I've seen that one too. I've, I'm actually looking actually, at it think, on my shelf right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they also have those links on the, on the uh, DVD as a bonus feature. Mm -hmm. 
you know, for for those of you who don't remember what it was like in the 90s when we were struggling to get all this stuff out there. Yeah, I've also got the shot of VHS on my shelf I'm looking at right now, too. Yeah, there is that. That's that. I did not see that coming on DVD, and yet there it is. Yep. And yet they didn't animate it. Yeah, <laughs> although... Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, that you have us the, to another topic. <laughs> you, you have the McGann for that, but uh, anyway, you know they're going to keep. It's like a cottage industry trying to complete Shada. It's like this whole cottage sub industry of Doctor Who fandom. I, I figure by the time it gets done, it's going to be like the uh, the YouTube Star Wars project where everyone sends in their own little two minute clip, and then they all get put together in order. Yep. You know, without any regard to continuity, I figure, you know, we might as well go for that the way <laughs> the way this is headed. Well, I'm I'm blanking on his name. I can't remember it, but he um actually hired animators to um Ian Levine. Ian Levine, yes, thank you. That and he supposedly has a full animated version of it, um, and got a lot of the original cast members to come back in and do their their audio for the the unrecorded episodes, but uh, and he proposed it to um to entertain to release on the dvd for shada and they turned him down i yeah i think there's some bad blood there of course i would imagine <laughs> poor uh you know the poor guy stuck his neck out there for the whole missing episode rumor and then mm-hmm. proceeded to you know watch in horror as the guillotines actually started coming down um so, I I kind of pity him in a way because, you know, for for a long time he was kind of the representative sample of fandom in the '80s, for good or ill. Yeah. So I I harbor, I harbor no ill will toward him. I just I think he's uh, the problem with anyone from that era, especially the the late Nathan Turner era, is that you know they've been put under a microscope and accused of so many things by now that stuff sticks as as being received wisdom yeah and I, I i don't have any problems with ian levine either um i would love to see his animated version of shada yeah like you know he went to all the time and effort and expenditure to create this thing it's a shame that no one will get to see it yeah i i would say you know drop it on youtube somewhere but i also understand he doesn't want to do that you know he's by day, he's a record producer. I, I imagine he is not exactly simpatico with the idea of putting his stuff out there for free that he is paid to make. Well, and I don't blame him. There's that and there's the licensing. Technically, it's not really his to release. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's still Shada. It's still the BBC's property, so he'd have to get their permission to release it anyway. Right. Which I think is where the whole big mess up comes in with, with To Entertain and, and all that was that they couldn't get everything lined up and they just went their own route which still they should have at least animated it like they did invasion or reign of terror um the animation and reign of terror was was beautiful yeah i kind of like the the anime style that they're leaning towards now the the invasion was great for what it was and yet at the same time uh, i had the same problem with invasion that i had with uh what was the other thing cosgrove hall animated around that they did the Scream of the Shalka. Oh yeah, the the Scream of the Shalka. What's it's essentially a flash animation. It's right. Good for web pages. <laughs> exactly. Which Scream and was originally aired. So. 
it, it was better than nothing, but at the same time, I kind of like that they are going through some going through some effort to make it try to match up with the filmed footage as best they can. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I you know, I I have VHS tapes with <laughs> PAL copies of reconstructed uh-huh. slideshows <laughs> of missing episodes. So obviously, I'll put up with rather a lot. Oh yeah. I've got to get to <laughs> to get to experience it in something not entirely dissimilar to the form under which it originally went out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've I've got all the loose cannon reconstructions myself. So <laughs> those were the days. Keep circulating the tapes. Keep circulating the tapes. So, and I think that has circulated us full circle to the beginning of the discussion yep, actually to the the conclusion of our our discussion probably because i'm sure you probably want to um, get you and your your child some food <laughs> yeah he he gets a little strange about that you know he just picks a cat at random and eats it if i don't feed him yeah he wants to eat i understand <laughs> yeah but so you know people can check you out at the logbook.com um you've got the escape pod podcast and check out storybundle.com for the, the Doctor Who story bundle. It's currently got um, just over seven days left on the run. And that is on, what is today? August the 13th. So Yes. So it's, yeah, we're, we're a week out from that being off the map. Yep. And I truly appreciate everyone who's partaken so far. It's... Uh, it has. It is. I really did not set a mental bar for what was going to happen from this deal. It's. It was sort of like, oh, someone wants to license my book from me as an ebook. Okay, that's fine. Because I. I had been doing an ebook through my own site, because I. My web host had a deal set up where you could set up a a file that people would have to pay for. And they would have to pay to download it, and then they stopped doing that. Uh, Probably because someone was misusing it to sell stuff that wasn't theirs, I imagine. Probably, yeah. Usually the way these things go. And I had just started to, you know, get some ebook business going with that when they pulled the plug on it and then never notified any of the webmasters, of course. <laughs> so yeah, about the time that they contacted me for a story bundle, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was too good to be true. Oh, Great. Solves my problem right there, at least for two weeks. Um, yeah. a, little, a little bit of tweaking, and I will probably have this thing available for Kindle. Oh, there you go. By the, by the end of the year. I'm, it, it, the book is, is a very laid-out book, and you know the other books in the series are going to follow that same style. So it's a, it's a real bear to get Kindle to swallow that formatting. So it's uh, the ebook is gonna, you know, I'm gonna confess it's been kind of secondary to the print version. So I'm happy to have an ebook out there, you know, and I've heard reports that it, the formatting actually translates pretty well. So I'm I'm very happy with it, and I'm very happy that people have partaken so far. I would I would call the result a smashing success myself. And uh, but there's another week to go, and anyone who hasn't already picked it up. I mean, even even if they're not necessarily interested in my book, this is a really awesome deal. It is. It's a really good deal. And also, I'd, I'd like to note that you can, um, 
when you set your price when you do the story bundle, you can also donate 10% of that to charity, the uh, the Mighty Riders or Girls Right Now. Yes. So. And there's yeah, there's a slider for you know how much to the authors, how much to the publishers. Hey, everyone, just leave that alone. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good cut for the authors there compared to yeah. most places. That's, that's yeah, I I can definitely having having been a year into this adventure in self-publishing, I can definitely attest that's uh, just leaving that slider alone. That is not a bad deal for the authors at all. <laughs> yeah. All right, Earl. Well, I would like to. Um... Thank you wholeheartedly from me and everyone else at Sci-Fi Effects for joining me tonight for um, this chat. I enjoyed it tremendously. I don't often get to geek out hardcore with Doctor Who stuff. so. Oh, I'm always up for that. <laughs> Hit me up again after the anniversary. I'm sure there will be things to talk about. Well, I'd, I'd love to have you back to talk about uh, Vorp 2 when you, um, when you get ready to put that out. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, give me about a week after the anniversary, and you know, have, after processing that, I'll probably actually be ready to talk about a book. Until then, it'll be, oh God, how do I fit this in? All right. Well, I will. Um, I'll definitely get back in touch with you then at some point. Uh, All right. I'll probably give you to the end of the year. Give you a little, okay, little buffer <laughs> space there. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, and I will say um, goodbye to all of our listeners, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please visit our home on the web at scififx.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at scififx. And we are on Facebook at facebook.com slash scififx. Like us on Facebook. It's an easy way to be kept up to date with all the latest sci-fi news, and you'll be entered to win a free prize. You can also stream our podcast using Stitcher Smart Radio on any mobile device with an internet connection running on iOS, Android, WebOS, or on BlackBerry smartphones. Follow the Fellowship of the Geeks on Twitter at Fellowship Geeks. Check out Geekdom Nation on the web at geekdomnation.com and follow Geekdom Nation on Twitter at Geekdom Nation. <laughs>